0: Thank you, Mary. When, um, when Pauline and I came back to Chessington a few years ago, I, I was interim pastor for 14 months after Bobby and Julie went back to America. We were down the hook shops and met Mary's mother. And she was delighted to see us. We'd lived on the same street for 22 years as Mary's mum. She asked what we were doing back in Chessington. I told her and she said, where are you staying? I said, oh, we're staying with Basil Basil Smith. And she put her hand on my arm and said, no offence, but he's such a good looking man. (laughs) So Mary, you brought back that memory for me. Thank you. A big shout out this morning to uh, um, Jan Haycock, who's uh, in hospital and I'm told may well be watching the service uh, through the internet, and has a copy of my notes. I hope I don't depart from them too much and confuse Jan, but we hope you're better soon, Jan. And a big shout out to that young man I met a few minutes ago who's wearing a Manchester United shirt. Such a handsome and discerning young man, I thought and uh, welcome to the greatest club on earth. But um, let me get down to what I'm here for. Um, Many years ago, it was January 2000. Oh, by the way, I'm preaching for the first time this morning from my new Amazon Kindle scribe. So if it all goes wrong, I apologize in advance. But in February 2000, Mozambique uh, endured catastrophic floods. I remember seeing a video clip on the news. A South African helicopter was winching um, a woman from the roof of her home that was being carried along in the floodwaters. The disaster had claimed almost everything she owned, but there were a few things she'd managed to salvage from her house. And they were wrapped up in, a, in a, either a canvas bag or even a pillow slip. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but she was holding these last few things of her possessions. A helicopter was winding her from the roof. And as she was halfway up to the helicopter, the, the terrific downdraft of the helicopter caused her to drop the bag. And all her remaining possessions went into the murky waters below. It was a wretched moment of loss. One evening she went to bed with her life intact. The next morning it was all literally washed away. And she was taken from her home to a place where she became a refugee. I remember Polish families knocking on the door of our terraced house in Manchester. uh, Four or five years after the war. Asking if we could take them in because they were homeless and they were resident aliens in the United Kingdom they had nowhere to live I felt sorry for them but we lived in a two up, two down terraced house and my mum felt that it was important to turn them away it must be wretched to be a refugee because the great question for a refugee is where do I belong? where's home? A powerful teaching of the New Testament and 1 Peter chapter 1 in particular is that every single Christian here and everywhere else is a refugee. That's what Peter says in this letter written to this group of churches in chapter 1 verse 1. He refers to them as strangers in the world. In verse 17, he refers to them as living as strangers here. And in chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. So every Christian is an alien and a stranger. It's particularly important for him to give these Christian people to whom he's writing in Asia, Asia Minor, he's, he's wanting to give them a particular perspective because one of the great issues of that day was citizenship. They lived in the mighty Roman Empire, and to be a citizen of Rome was the greatest privilege that they could know in their culture. The state had the power of life and death. Two thirds of the population of the Roman Empire were in the slave category. So to be a freeborn or uh, to be a purchased Roman citizen was a massive, massive privilege. But a wave of persecution was just breaking out against the Christian church by this massive world power. Many ordinary Christian men and women were going to go to their deaths because of their faith in Christ and their refusal to acknowledge that Caesar was the incarnate God, the Lord. And Peter's writing to these people to give them God's perspective. And we need to hear this in our culture because... Our culture is, I'm sure you've noticed, becoming increasingly antagonistic to Christianity. Christians must have a firm grip on the answer to this question. Where do I belong? What's my status? So first of all, you're a refugee in this world. The moment you become a a Christian, you become a refugee. Peter uses three words. Scattered. Strangers. Foreigners. When I did that hand gesture there, I suddenly thought that's my son has caught that off me. Scattered strangers and foreigners. You see, scattered and strangers in chapter 1, verse 1, strangers in chapter 1, verse 17, and strangers and foreigners in chapter 2, verse 11. Scattered is from the Greek word diaspora. Strangers is from a word which means a resident foreigner. And foreigner comes from a word that means someone who's moved in alongside you, a resident alien. That's what Christians are by nature in the cultures of this world. We are resident aliens living in a foreign country. That's one of the concepts that defines you. And unless you're learning to understand that and live with it and be comfortable with it and pray within it, and when witness within it, then life's going to be much more complicated than it need to be. Now, in the travelling that I've done uh, into Thailand, Pakistan, India, America, various other places, even once went to Germany, I remember. I always relish the moment that I arrive back at Heathrow and join the queue of those who have a British passport. And walk freely and without restriction into the land of my fathers. Well, all the foreigners are queuing up over there. But when we arrived in Nepal a few years ago, we realized that we were foreigners and aliens. For some reason, we didn't have the right documents for entry. Nobody had told us that we needed certain documents, or we didn't have them. We had to face an unsympathetic and surly immigration officer. We had to stand for a long time, filling in very detailed forms. We had to hand over 25% of our available currency to purchase a a temporary residence visa. We had to produce two passport photographs in an airport where there was no photo booth. And if I'm talking to any young men here, or any newly married young men, let me tell you this, do not despise the handbag. <laughs> I've made many jokes over the years about the handbag and its Mary Poppins proportions. But somehow, this miracle of a woman standing by me looked into the handbag, and amidst the paracetamol and the emodium, she found two. Yeah. They're in there as well. She found two passport photographs, one of me, one of her. And we also had to provide evidence that we were leaving, we were going to leave, and we said we were going to leave. You're welcome to come in here, but you're not staying long. Don't get used to it. Well, the message that 's the message you can come in, but you don 't belong here; you belong somewhere else, so when you get back from that to, and you, you open up your British passport at the desk in Heathrow or Birmingham or Manchester, and you walk into the fatherland with a grin, you, you relax because you 're no longer an alien and a stranger. you belong as a citizen it's hard It's a wonderful thing now for people for Peter to make these statements about about Christians in this world and therefore about himself was nothing short really of amazing. He came from the Jewish people. The founder of their faith, Abraham, had lived for 120 years in a tent as an alien and a stranger in the promised land. Their history, the history of Peter's people, was marked by a 400-year period in which they were aliens and strangers in the land of Egypt to which Jacob had gone as a refugee in a time of famine. While in Egypt, they'd come to be treated as foreigners, to be hated and crushed and abused. They left Egypt by the outstretched hand of a mighty God. They were scattered as strangers in the desert for 40 years. Then at last, they entered their promised land, their inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. That It was theirs. It was home but because of their covenant breaking and their refusal, refusal to bow down before the God of their fathers, they were invaded by foreigners, by foreign armies. Thousands of them were taken off to Babylon and Persia where they hung their harps upon the willow trees because they could no longer sing the Lord's song by the rivers of Babylon. They hung their harps on the willow trees in sadness in a strange land. They were the diaspora, the scattered ones, but many of them would come back and had settled in, back in Israel. They were rebuilding their city and rebuilding their temple. And that was Peter's identity. That, he, be, Peter belonged to that people. He was the son of that Abraham. Israel was his home. Jerusalem was his city. But here's the extraordinary thing. It's all changed for him. He's now identifying Christians as aliens, strangers, and scattered ones Again. You see in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 that the promised land for Peter now, the inheritance now for Peter, is a place reserved in heaven by God with Jesus Christ. That's his, now his country. That's his inheritance. Kept in heaven for you, he says in verse 4. You see in chapter 2 verse 6 that the, the, the city to which he now belongs is Zion. The heavenly Zion. The heavenly Jerusalem where Jesus Christ has been. So I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, he says. He now belongs to the no longer to the earthly Jerusalem, but to the heavenly one. And the temple, chapter 2, the temple that God is building is no longer the great edifice in Jerusalem. The temple is the thing which is, has the foundations of the Christian gospel as its foundation. Jesus Christ is its cornerstone. Every true Christian is a living brick in that temple. And the sacrifices are Christian worship and uh, obedience. And you become a member of that chosen people by spiritual rebirth, not by the ethnicity of your dad or your mum. That's exactly what you become if you're a Christian. You live here, but you don't actually really belong here. Your, Your country is the eternal inheritance where Jesus Christ has gone to prepare a place for you. Your city is the heavenly Jerusalem. Your king is the Lord enthroned in heaven by his father's right hand. Now, I need to explain that I'm not talking about this, this beautiful creation, spoiled and corrupted and fallen, though it is. I'm not, when I talk about, you don't belong here, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the world's cultures, which are antagonistic and anti, antipathetic against the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We, as Christians, we love this present world, and we desire God's kingdom to be established in this world Let's pray for that, we work for that, but the fact that our first and life-changing allegiance is to God and his kingdom means that we've become aliens in Caesar's kingdom, in the world's kingdom. So why is that? One, first of all, its customs are alien to you. Chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because... He who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Its customs are alien to you, that's what he's saying. It's the description of a society which is being led along by its desires and its appetites. The words refer to unrestrained behavior, heavy drinking, partying. As the society says, if it itches, scratch it. If you, don't, if you want it, have it. If you've got an urge, satisfy it. Don't worry about the consequences. Don't fret about self-control. Let it all hang out. Let me share with you one of my birthday cards, 29th of December, if you want to put it in your diary for next year. The 29th of December, 1942. Somebody sent me this card. What do we want? More rights for the elderly. When do we want it? Want what? <laughs> I've got used to these jokes now that I've entered the realms of the elderly. But we are living in a society that's saying, what do you want? You can have it. I know of respectable middle-class business people who reserve, reserve Saturday evenings for getting hammered. That's the night they've set aside for overindulgence. We've created a society where we print money, where we borrow money, where we use money so that we can have what we want as soon as we want it. No waiting. Gambling is a huge nationally institutionalized industry. We'll bet on anything that moves. In the last year, I've had to learn a new word. I thought at first it referred to an elder in this church, it's called an akka. I've had to learn that it refers to an accumulated bet. But we're teaching you to gamble responsibly. <laughs> We've created a medical procedure for getting rid of babies that aren't wanted we must have our sexual appetites satisfied and if a human being is conceived as a result and the coming of that human being is inconvenient and unwanted then there's a procedure that will take care of the problem our society our culture teaches that there's one thing you shouldn't have to do and that's to put a restraint on your appetites my needs my appetites my desires are king they're my only reference point they're the touchstone of reality I shop therefore I am I want therefore I shall have well says Peter you used to live in that world that was your culture but its customs have become alien to you and so you've become an alien to it because you belong to a different kingdom and some of you young people will struggle with this because you feel half in the world's kingdom and half in the kingdom of Jesus. If you're between 11 and 18, you go to a school where the culture does not smile nicely, generally, upon your, the Christian beliefs and practices of your parents and of the church you go to midweek. And it's such a pressure on your spirit because you want to belong. I once ditched my best mate, Les Dyson, because I wanted to be with the smart crowd. I dumped him because I wanted to be with John Radcliffe. who was the most handsome footballer in the school. I wanted to be with him. The pressure of the culture of your school or your college and they're armed with the the kind of social media devices that I knew nothing of when I was a young lad in school. They have their TikToks and their Instagram posts and various other media platforms of which I am completely unaware. After all, I'm 80. (laughs) But you're half scared that they're gonna put stuff on there that's gonna harm you and insult you and cancel you. So there's a pressure to conform. And your parents want you to, be, to love Jesus and to, be, and to be surrendered to Jesus. But the culture around you at school is urging you to be one of us. I want to say to you, if you're between the age of 11 and 18, come with us. Come to Christ. As none but Christ can satisfy. So, The the thing about the world is that its customs are alien to you, so you've become an alien and a stranger. And then its its culture is unsympathetic towards you. That's the second reason why we're aliens and strangers. Its culture is unsympathetic towards you. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of Christ rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin. With the family of God. This epistle is shot through from beginning to end with the fact that the spiritual culture of this world and the culture of the Christian life don't mix. They think it's strange. They think it's weird. Chapter 4, verse 4 they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same stuff. How weird! How weird that Christians should think that homosexuality is unnatural and contrary to the mind of God. How ignorant of us to want to prevent it being promoted amongst our young people. How intolerant that you don't think we should have the right to choose to dispose of an unborn child we don't want. How peculiar that you should teach that the lifelong marriage between a male and a female, a man and a wife, is the, is the God-ordained plan for the family. How foolish. How medieval of you Christians to, th- to believe that male leadership should be the divine norm for the family and for the church. How pathetic you Christians are to think that there's such a thing as true truth. And that you have a rel- revelation of it in Jesus Christ. Increasingly, that's the culture of our nation. They think it's strange. And I've been reading a book written by a Scottish minister, which is entitled something like "How Did We Become the Bad Guys?" When I went to school 400 years ago, just after John Wesley preached in Newcastle, when I went to school, every single pupil stood in an assembly while the head teacher read from the King James Bible and then prayed a prayer to the Christian God. 75% of the young people in our country in that time went to Sunday school. How did we become the bad guys? They think it's strange that you don't think and behave like they do. If you're a Christian, you're a refugee from that world. It's not your home anymore. The kingdom of God is your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. The world's culture and its, and its uh, customs grow out of the soil of human self-indulgence and pride. That's what 1 Peter chapter 4 is saying. The culture of the kingdom of God grows from the soil of God's holy purity. It's based on the eternal truth revealed in Jesus Christ and captured in the Christian scriptures and the Jewish scriptures. His eternal truth, his heart of compassion and grace, So, if you come to Christ, you automatically and inevitably become an alien and a stranger to this world's customs and culture. So, let me just move on to something a little more positive. Let me share with you two reasons why you are an alien and a stranger. The first one is you are a product of redemption. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You are a product of redemption if you're a Christian. You were caught in a vicious cycle. The way of life that I've been describing, that way of life is built on human greed and pride. The way of life whose goal is the satisfaction of human appetites. It's an empty way of life. Verse 18 It's empty. It promised you great happiness, but it brought you emptiness. It offered you joy and delivered frustration. It scratched your riches, but it couldn't give you peace of mind and contentment of heart or hope for the future, it was empty. It was empty for your forefathers. It's empty for you. You drank your wine. You drug your soul. You engaged in your sex. You spent your money. You, you did it all, but you had to start doing it all over again the day after. Because it's empty of spiritual reality in life. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to redeem you from that way of life to pay a price that only he could pay to rescue you from that kind of miserable slavery and bring you into the joy and freedom of the children of God you're a product of redemption he paid the price of his own death to bring you forgiveness and a new start he came to bring you out of that vicious circle and into the joy of the kingdom of God Christ died to deliver you from the customs and culture of a world in rebellion against God. You are a product of redemption and finally you're a product of rebirth. Verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. The Gospel is a seed. It's a seed of the Word of God. When that seed is planted, and takes root. It produces a living thing. That's what you are if you're a Christian. God has planted His living seed, the gospel, in your heart, and He's watered it by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And the life of God is growing inside you, in your soul, in your spirit. It's produced life in you, the life of God, blossoming in your heart. The great preacher, perhaps the greatest English preacher of all time, George Whitfield was partly converted through reading a Puritan book by Henry Scougal called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. He lent it to John Wesley. He was converted partly through reading Charles Wesley. The Life of God in the Soul of Man. Makes you new. You're a product of rebirth. That's why some of you new Christians here this morning Wonder why everything seems fresh since you trusted Christ. I remember a man coming to Jesus when I was a minister in the Pen Pen Free Methodist Church. He came to me the following week and he said, something's happened. I got up, I looked out of my bedroom window and everything seemed different. The grass was greener. You've got a new life inside you. You've got new eyes, you've got new ears, you've got new hopes, new joys, new dislikes, new likes. And verse 22, you have a heart that wants to turn away from your natural selfishness to love people, especially Christian people with a love rooted in purity. You're a product of rebirth. You don't belong to this world anymore, really. You can't. You've been redeemed from it by the payment of an astonishing price and by a life changing transformation in your heart you're living in this world but you're you're a citizen of a new world the chief delight and the joy of your heart is now the customs and culture of the kingdom of God and one of your greatest joys is to look at someone you can't see verses eight and nine though you have not seen him you love him And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a strange thing about Christianity. We see someone who is invisible. We spend our lives looking at someone who can't be seen. Jesus, who is revealed to us in the Scriptures. You have a brand new appetite for us. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, like a newborn baby, fastens its little sucking lips on a mother's breast and won't give up until he's full. You're like that with the pure milk of the Word of God, says Peter. Because when you suck on that Word, you discover how fresh, how good is the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new attitude to the way your natural appetite should work. Your longings, your needs, your scratches, your desires... And now, under the control of a mind that's being transformed by God's word. Your new heart asks this question what does King Jesus want? We belong to that kingdom. And on and on we go in this letter. You're a refugee in this present world because the life that inhabits you, the king who rules you, the book that feeds you, the priorities that dominate you, the country to which you belong, the city of which you're a citizen are heavenly. And though you still struggle terribly as I do with the old appetites and the old temptations, you have something new that defines you. Beginning of 2022, 2022, You have something new that defines you. You're an alien and a stranger here to the customs and culture of this world because you're a citizen of another kingdom. You're different. You're different. You've not abandoned this world, but you're shining like a light in it. You're different. You don't hate the people of this world, but you won't compromise your obedience to Jesus Christ. You're different. And on that day, when the king comes and brings in his eternal kingdom, that beautiful song we sang a few moments ago. By the way, I just love it when drummers go nuts, don't you? I love it. Um, It was great to see the drummer go nuts this morning. I just love that. I wish I could do it. On that day when the king comes and he brings in his eternal kingdom, the people of this world who've been so critical and scornful of you, who've mocked you at school, who've despised you at work, have scorned your faith, laughed at your priorities, they will say to the praise of King Jesus, he was different, she was real, they will glorify God on the day that he visits us, because you were different. So, as we begin this uh, As we begin this new year, is this your identity? You're not a citizen of this world anymore. You don't live by its customs or its culture. You live by the customs and culture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Is that your identity? If not, will you consider joining us, coming into the kingdom with us? We're a motley bunch. We've got our idiosyncrasies. Some of us us are from an alien part of the country from the north of England. Will you join with us? Come with us and uh, love the king. He's invisible, but you can see him through the word of God and the gospel. Are you an alien and a stranger because redemption has brought you and rebirth has made you a citizen of heaven? Come and join us. Let me pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the kingdom that you are establishing that will last forever when the kingdoms of this world are no more, when the judgment of God has come, the resurrection has taken place. King Jesus will be on his throne. There will be a new heavens and a new earth that will be the home of righteousness. And every person who has been redeemed through the blood of Christ shed on the cross, every person in whom the life of the word of God has taken root, every person who has experienced those twin glories will be part of that eternal kingdom. So please, Heavenly Father, as we begin this new year, help us to think as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. Help us to put down those deep, deep foundations that we were hearing about a few moments ago and help us to uh, be such people who show forth in this world some of the beauties and realities of the kingdom of God and keep us faithful to the end we pray we ask it in Jesus name Amen